Welcome to Healing Hearts, empowering critical care providers. The information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended as a training tool for Children's Hospital and Medical Center personnel. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Complete information regarding the podcast, including its limitations on usage, is available under the episode description. Hello, everyone. My name is David Husky. I am the Thrive Program Manager at Children's Hospital and Medical Center. I'm serving as the guest host for this episode of the Healing Hearts podcast, and I'm here with Dr. Kelly Cadlick, an intensivist at Children's Hospital and Medical Center. We are recording this special episode because May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we want to normalize what it looks like to address issues related to mental health and emotional well-being for healthcare workers, as well as highlight some of the tools and resources that are available linked to this podcast episode. But if you find yourself in a crisis, please call 988, the suicide crisis hotline, uh, available 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week. And uh, for our children's employees, please reach out to our Thrive program, your manager, your supporter. Today's the day to take that step. So Kelly, we asked you to join us today because in the May edition of the We Thrive magazine, you tell the story of your journey with some of the challenges you have faced balancing the demands of being a husband, a father, a pediatric intensivist. Rather than retell the entire story, we're going to expand on a few aspects of your story and have you give us some additional insight and detail as to what was going on in your life at that time. And just a quick note to our listeners, the magazine will be mailed to all team members at Children's Hospital and Medical Center later this month. But if you've not yet read Kelly's story, you should be able to find a link to it on our content page. So Kelly, again, welcome. And uh, take a minute to give us a recap of the story you share. Yeah, about almost two years ago now, I've got a lot of professional obligations. You know, one thing about being a physician, especially one that's, you know, rates uh, very high on the empathy scale, such as I do, is you like to help other people. And, and sometimes you do that manner where you just take on additional things to help out. You don't realize that your bandwidth is limited. And so a combination of that is taking on a lot of additional things at work, in addition to clinical work schedule. And then, you know, things at home, uh, we're busy, we're in the summer. And then towards the uh, end of August, you know, our oldest left for college. A lot of these things built up. I was already getting to the point where I was getting behind on a lot of things I wanted to do and I was supposed to get done. Then when our oldest daughter left, did initially okay for probably the first week or so, but then I just underestimated really how significant of a life change that was. And that's just, I don't know if that was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back, but then had a hard time sleeping. I've never been a good sleeper. Um, that particular week was even worse, and it just kept building up and up, and reached a point where I was supposed to be on service, I think starting on Saturday, you know, but without sleep, I just reached kind of the end of my rope, so to speak. Ended up calling my my boss, um, kind of going through this stuff, was in tears, and told him that, you know, I just couldn't take on service took some time to kind of reprioritize, met with some people like yourself over the next few months to kind of help me 
prioritize things in my life and kind of get back on track. Well, I want to say thank you for your the courage to share that story, both in print form and then in summary, but expanding on it a little bit with us today. Uh, in the story, you use the image of a tightrope walker. Where did that image come from and why did that particular image resonate? So I'm not exactly sure where it came from. Many things I kind of procrastinated on getting this story to you. And I'm an avid reader and I think I was trying to look for kind of like an analogy or something that people can kind of relate to. I just started thinking about, you know, kind of what, what kind of tipped me over. And that kind of gave me the image of just like balancing. And then from there, I'm like, okay, what are some things that balance? And then the tightrope thing just kind of came to mind, and there you go. And so then I was looking for a cool term. I need to see if there's an actual term for a tightrope walker, and it's a fundambulist or something like that. Just kind of, it just naturally fit. Yeah. Of course, being a medical provider, you had to find the very precise term for what you were describing. Correct. <laughs> that challenge, it, it's not unique to healthcare workers. We all balance things, have to balance work, career, family, responsibilities, all of those things. But as a healthcare provider, what are some of those unique things for healthcare providers that they have to balance in when home spills into work and work spilling into home? We recently, you know, came out of the COVID pandemic, and I think that took a toll on a lot of people for a variety of reasons. Aside from the pandemic, a lot of things that we do have a lot of emotion to it. There's consequences to our actions or inactions, particularly if there's error. A lot of us can get deeply attached to our patients and families. I generally consider that a good thing. If you have positive outcomes, things are going well, that's great. But if you have patients that don't do well or in my line of field, patients that die, as an emotional burden. We oftentimes, I guess, either don't appreciate, don't acknowledge how significant that burden can be. I describe it as a beautiful thing, but that beautiful thing comes with a cost. Oftentimes, because of the work we do in healthcare, with confidentiality, there's nobody at home to help you bear that burden. (laughs) And so sometimes we put ourselves at greater risk because there are things we just can't talk about, that it's it's almost impossible to build a hard wall between work and home. Work does go home with us, but we can't talk about work at home. Yeah, I think that's true to an extent. You know, we can't, you know, obviously with HIPAA and other patient confidentiality, but I also don't think I did as well as I could have or should have in, I guess, unloading. You know, my wife's always been there and she's always been willing to listen, but I don't think I appreciated her desirability to allow me to do that. In retrospect, both her and I wish I probably would have, you know, unloaded bits and pieces so I didn't have to carry that. I believe one of the lies we tell ourselves is that because of confidentiality, we can't talk about it at all at home. When in the reality is we can talk in generalities correct, without being specific, but because we tell ourselves, oh, I can't talk about it at all, then again, we put ourselves at higher risk when actually we do need to learn to get better at how to process some of this at home and at least let our loved ones know, 
hey, I've had a hard week <laughs> and I'm not fully myself today. Give me some extra grace. That can be enough. In the story, using the image of a tightrope walker, you talk about what you describe as your fall. It's been a year, a little over a year since you've refound your balance again. So let's start there. How are you today and how has the last year been for you personally and professionally? past year, I would say, has been overall pretty good. I will say, you know, the past two months started getting that, here we go again, and taking on more professional, you know, responsibilities and, and that some introspection, reevaluate things. Yeah. For example, you know, I was realizing too many things or things that I hadn't given up. And so I've given up a couple of responsibilities professionally. I continue to work out, thankfully. That's one of my saving graces is the ability to do that. But overall, you know, I'm doing really well. And I just have better insight on when I'm getting to that level of being too overwhelmed, having the tools both to recognize it and then how do I prioritize, you know, if I need to get rid of something, what do I need to get rid of? And I don't have to do it all. It's okay not to always have to be there and other people can help bear the weight and responsibility on things. You know, you got to allow yourself a little bit of grace. Good. But it's still hard, isn't it? Yes. It's still hard. One of the things I found most fascinating about your story and the article was there was no quote unquote one big thing. It was a bunch of little things that accumulated over time. You talked about your daughter leaving for college and that was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, but why do you think we tend to ignore or at least diminish the individual warning signs, the small things along the road? We kind of blow past those. Why do we diminish or ignore those small warning signs, do you think? You know, I think we're so used to multitasking, both taking on so many things at one time, whether that be job responsibilities or I'm in the ICU and have to make sure that several different things are going on at once. Like for example, the checking emails at home. I just think that we as a society and me individually, we just multitask, I think, too much. Almost like a mindlessness. Instead of mindfulness, do things by rote. I would say in addition to that, I think if you multitask too much, then it becomes more of a you know, you can take on too much and you just, you can't focus any one attention on one particular thing. But I think in addition to like trying to take on too many things, we just get used to it. Looking back when all these things added up, I was like, I'm so used to multitasking. Okay. Yeah. I got all these other things going on and this isn't going very well. That's not going very well. But my perception was that I'm okay at multitasking. So I'll get all these sorted out reaches a point where you can't sort it all Turns out. Turns out you weren't as good as you thought you were. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that, is, that is true. One of the phrases you used that jumped out at me is, you were home, but not present. Yes. Verbalized by my wife. Did it take her calling you out on that to, well, for you to recognize it? Oh, yeah. Or, okay. Yeah, and she said that intermittently over the years. And yeah. then I would take some... Then I'll be like, okay, I won't do emails at home. And, you know, a couple months go by, then I'm back doing it. And, you know, I love what I do. And I love the ICU. I love the extra stuff that I do, you know, with simulation, t teaching you know, fellows and residents. But 
I think it was at the expense of, you know, being present. And that was the other thing that kind of shocked me is I've always kind of prided myself in the sense that I had a fairly decent work-life balance. That perception maybe wasn't a reality. One of the images I've heard you use is like a favorite pair of jeans that get tighter and tighter, but you don't notice it until the one day you can't get them on at all. Yes. And You've had that? Huh? You've had that happen? Oh, I've not had that happen, but I've heard you oh, describe I, it. Oh, I yeah. think. I mean, I wouldn't have that happen either. <laughs> what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, it's like gaining weight. And yeah, it's just like slowly adds up over time. But I think we do need to better appreciate the warning signs our loved ones send us. When a coworker stops and says, hey, how are you doing? You seem a little off. You know, you seem a little down or whatever. Our first reaction is to blow that off mm-hmm. and go, oh, no, I'm doing great. Those are pink flags, if not red flags, that we tend to blow past them. <laughs> or a spouse saying, hey, you know what? You're bringing too much work home. You know, we need... You're here, but you're not here. And stop, take a deep breath, and really listen to those voices and go, okay, maybe I need to make some mid-course corrections. Uh, Adjust my balancing pole so that I don't, you know, end up falling. Yeah, I think that's that's an important point because I think we're also used to when we ask somebody, you know, how are you doing? How's your day? You know, it's either fine or good. And we almost expect that and you know to have someone well either someone else say otherwise if you ask that kind of throws us off um i think that's just the what we expect from others and what we expect to say when someone asks us i think what i've learned from this is that it's okay to say you know not having such a great day and or at home, you know, I may use other words besides that, but because I think you're having a terrible day and you're like saying, oh, how's your day? That was good. And it's not good. Then there's a disconnect. You have this, uh, you know, what you're telling people versus how you're feeling and cognitive dissonance, or I'm not sure if that's the right term, but, and I think that just perpetuates things. So yep. when people ask me, I'll, you know, I'll tell them, you know, like, how was your night? Like, it was horrible. <laughs> So, and they're like, okay, I'm going to see yeah. you. <laughs> I can ask that question. I can ask that question yeah. again. Well, with your permission, let's go back to that week. You're not able to sleep. The next night, you're not able to sleep. The deadline of going back on service is approaching. The, the cycle is spinning out of control. In the article, you talk about a series of questions that were running through your mind. What would everyone think? Is this going to harm my career? Will others think less of me? What the hell's going on? Can you tell us about the raw fear before you made that phone call? Yeah, it sucked. You know, I remember the night before, you know, my wife and I went out to dinner and it was a good dinner. And then uh, going to sleep, it was just, could not get to sleep. And, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a clock watcher when I get up. And so I'm one of those people that if I get up, I don't look at the clock. So I don't want to, I don't want to know the time, you know, because then, I don't know, sometimes that makes me more anxious mm-hmm. if I think it's earlier than it's actually an hour. You know, I think it's one, it's actually two, and then that feeds into it. But you start seeing dawn coming, it's getting light out. No matter what the clock says, you know, it's uh, I'm supposed to get going. I woke my wife up. I told her, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm supposed to be taking care of kids today, but I don't want to do it and put 
some other child in jeopardy. I don't want to, you know, kind of dump on my partners. And I was have some tears, and she's like, "You need to, you need to talk to your, to your boss." So I called him. I was actually a bit surprised, and maybe I shouldn't have been, but he was very understanding. We'll take care of it. He did. So that was kind of uh, one weight off my chest, uh, but I still felt crappy. In the back of my mind, what are people going to say? What are they thinking? Your mind just starts running wild. And my wife, you know, she's trained as a pharmacist, but she's been at home taking care of the kids for three years. I'm kind of the sole breadwinner in that sense. I'm like, sure. if that something happens, then how am I going to financially support my family? I want to acknowledge in that that mess of questions running through your head, there are real legitimate questions. There are some that are irrational, probably, but there are some real issues at stake in making that phone call. Yeah, it was tough. Day by day, things got a little bit better. Initially, I was kind of like embarrassed. Who who does this? Is that a legitimate reason to yeah, I can't sleep, so I shouldn't. But at the same time, I was can't a good conscious take care of kids, kids? Yeah. if I'm not functioning at the top of my ability. So once I kind of got over that, realized that, supported by my colleagues, I initially didn't know what to tell my colleague. I actually had to write it out kind of on paper because I was super... I remember us going through yeah, that, yeah. Because I was super nervous and didn't know what I was going to say or fumble my word, but I was really surprised at the outreach of many of my colleagues to me right after that. Perhaps because of my vulnerability, it's allowed others to be a little more forthcoming and reach out for help. And I've had a few people reach out to me directly for both, you know, personal, professional issues, guidance. A lot of them I'll redirect towards you guys. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I'll give my opinion. And yeah. but it's it's hard for healthcare professionals. And again, this is a paradox. We're so used to helping other people. And it's somewhat ironic that we have difficulty in reaching out to others to allow them to help us. Yeah. Those of us called to healthcare by nature, put everybody else first. So a year and a half, two years out, did any of those worst fears come true? No, they didn't. I still have a job, still doing what I love. There's probably more positives that came out of that than negatives. So a colleague, co-worker, fellow healthcare workers listening to this, they're hearing their own story and yours. And they're at that point where all of those questions are storming through their head. What do you want to tell them? You're not crazy. Let others help you, whether it be family, friends. Talk to somebody, whether uh, one of your friends, your significant other, someone at church, your mom, your dad. Practice on your pet first. But you need to let it out. You need yeah. to talk to somebody you trust. None of us are superhuman. Let others help you. If others are noticing some red flags, don't dismiss them. Odds are you're the one misinterpreting your own reality. They may see you clearer than you see yourself. Oh, absolutely. It's a safe place. Yeah. No judgment. I think that's important, too. It's, I don't know if you know this, but we live in a pretty judgmental society. Have you ever seen that on yeah. Facebook or anything? And just like the accumulation of things was a whole bunch of small steps that built up over the course of time, the path out is not a snap your fingers. It, it's a journey as well, isn't it? It is. It's a rebuilding journey. I remember one of the key elements for you 
was you had you had lost your workout routine. <laughs> Getting back to your workout. Tell us about how important was that for you? What what were the consequences of losing that routine? And what did you get back by getting back into that exercise routine? Just going to work out is just mentally, it just, it, it does a lot. And I mean, there's plenty of studies that, you know, releases your endogenous endorphin. For me, it was critical. Uh, even after a little week of me not doing it now, I know I started getting a little twitchy. That's <laughs> <laughs> kind of an important thing because I actually went for a week here. And so it had been like a week where I hadn't worked out and I noticed that I, I needed to go. But at the same time, I also, day, my son had a baseball game. If I didn't work out that day, of course, it's like right at the same time because, sure. I mean, why of not? Course. felt a little selfish, knew that for my own well-being that I, I needed to go work out. And so I talked with my wife, explained to her, you know, because I don't want to be like that dad. Oh, you know, he's not here again for baseball. It's like all things. There's competing priorities mm-hmm. and it can be difficult to uh, know which one's the right one. So worked out. I missed yeah. the game, but uh, he forgave you. He forgave me. He's got like 70. So, <laughs> I... well, Kelly, I want to say the words are inadequate, but I want to say thank you. Thank you for your courage to share your story. Thank you for being a leader in this organization and blazing a path for others to know that it's okay. Help is available. Again, judgment free, no retribution. I am so proud of you. <laughs> well, I, I, I appreciate it. <laughs> I was just thinking, as, if you're saying blaze a path, I yeah, I blazed a hell of a path there, yeah. man. <laughs> yes, you did. Straight down. <laughs> so I wanted to thank you as well, David. Without you, without this program, it would have been extremely difficult for me to get through. It's one of the most difficult times in my life. Thank you. For more information about Children's Hospital and Medical Center, visit childrensomaha.org. Thanks for listening to Healing Hearts, empowering critical care providers.